Hello, welcome to the podcast of Grace Fellowship Church Shrewsbury. We meet every Sunday at 9 and 11 a.m. in Southern York County, Pennsylvania. You can join our morning live stream on Facebook or YouTube. Just search for GFC Shrewsbury. You can find more information about us at gfcshrewsbury.org. We are so excited to bring you this message today, and it is our hope that you will come to know and believe Jesus Christ more fully through it. So um, we have these little yard signs for you outside. If you want to sign up for one now, we, the, the whole first order has already been taken, but we're trying to get another order in. And by the way, how many of you saw the presidential debate? You may be entitled to financial compensation. We have lawyers and um, we, you know, but anyway, uh, after that debate, I saw this sign online and I said, amen. 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 So um, if you want to sign up for these, we're doing another run. And I already have two in my yard, and uh, I'm excited to be able to promote Jesus, um, not just in 2020, but in every year. Okay, well, um, we, we begin a new series today, but not really. Um, you know, we don't tell you this, but we just say the same things over and over and over again, because there's really only one message, and his name is Jesus, amen? So um, today we begin a series called When God's People Pray. And I'm very excited to be with you in this. And um, we're also going to be moving in this stream that God has already created. If you've been with us now for the last four to six weeks, you know that God has been doing some pretty remarkable things in our midst, but also around the world. And so we really believe that it's time now for us to put in place a midweek prayer gathering at Grace. Now, this is new to us, and this is something we've been praying about for years um, we've been influenced by many kingdom expressions that consider the, the prayer meeting the center meeting of the church. So this Wednesday, we'll begin every Wednesday night to have a 7 o'clock prayer meeting here in the worship center. And I'm praying that the message that God brings today will help encourage you to understand why and that it would encourage you to attend as well. Okay, so this week we'll be focusing on bringing light to darkness. How many of you believe that there is much darkness um, so we're going to be praying that God would bring light. So let's pray together before I begin. Father, thank you so much that you are faithful. Lord, I come before you and acknowledge I am tired, and, but I thank you that you never grow weary and that you never are tired, that you are the faithful one and that you are filled with tender mercies. And Lord, that you are alive and willing to speak to us. God, stir our hearts and our minds today, Lord Jesus. Help us to understand what it means to seek you together. For we are your people called by your name. We submit ourselves to you now in the precious name of Jesus, the one who gave everything. Amen. Amen. So if I were to ask you, what comes to mind when you think about prayer? If I just give you the word prayer, I just want you to take a minute and think about what comes to your mind. Now, for some of you, you had this very beautiful contemplative thought that was just like, oh, I'm quiet, I'm, I'm alone, I'm in my home and I'm praying. Other people thought falling asleep. Falling asleep is something that I do when I try and pray. How many of you struggle to stay awake when you pray? Honest, come on, show of hands. Nobody? I'm alone. Oh, a few, a few, a few. Yeah, like a lot of us, I know we run ourselves so weary that sometimes we go to prayer and we find it's the first time that we're actually bowing our heads and closing our eyes during the day and then we let fatigue kind of overtake us and we kind of find it's hard to pray. Now, when I, when I talk about praying together with other people, what are some of the images that come to your mind? What are some of the things that you think about when we talk about corporate prayer. Because, you know, when we talk about prayer, what often happens is we have a scripture that comes to mind like this one from Matthew 6. 6. When you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father who sees what is done in secret really rewards you. And so many of us come out of this thing called the contemplative tradition, where when we hear the word prayer, we think of this monk-like experience where we're alone in our closet. And you know, that's, that's a good picture because it's a balancing picture. But what Jesus goes on to say right after this is he teaches us how to pray. And he says, this then is how you should pray. Our Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. You see, all this language is corporate language. It's not just about me 
but it's about we. Now, here's the problem in our culture, and I said this last week. We've been so conditioned to be individualistic, to think about ourselves first and foremost as an entity in and of ourselves. We're supposed to be thinking maybe about just our marriages or our families that we forget about the we, the bigger picture, the corporate picture. picture. And today I want to say to you, it is both. When we are in corporate prayer, we embrace both the me and the we. But here's our problem. Our me's are too big for the we. We have to acknowledge this in our culture that we have become individualistic in the way that we think. It's very important for us to understand that the we in prayer is so much more powerful than the me in prayer. When we come together in prayer, God wants to do amazing things in and through us. Listen, the first church at Pentecost was born not out of an organizational meeting, not out of preaching, but it was born out of a prayer meeting. Do you realize that? The church was born not out of an organizational meeting. It wasn't a bunch of people getting together and figuring out how are we going to do this thing. It wasn't out of preaching. It wasn't some guy just preaching from the front. The first church, the church at Pentecost, was born in the context of a prayer meeting. Listen to what it says in Scripture in Acts 2.4.2. They joined together constantly and devoted themselves to prayer. In Acts 2.4.2, it says here, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. You see, corporate prayer is spoken of more often than any other activity of the gathered church in the New Testament. I'm going to say that again. Corporate prayer is spoken of more than any other activity of the gathered church than anything else. So the apostles, they prayed, the disciples, they prayed when they had the choice of a new apostle. Over the prison release of Peter and John, the apostles prayed as their primary duty in John 6, 4. They confirmed its importance by praying when they appointed new elders. Paul and Barnabas were singled out as first missionaries during a prayer meeting. And they typically sought out places of prayer whenever they arrived in a new city. Listen, the early church visibly depended on prayer as the means of releasing the power of God. In other words, if we do not pray, God will not act. I'm going to say that again. If we do not pray, God will not act. Would you say that with me? If we do not pray, God will not act. This was the mindset of first century believers and followers of Jesus Christ. If we don't come together and pray, if we don't actually come together in this concert of prayer and cry out to our God together, he's not going to move. But if we come together and cry out to him, God will move. What did these first believers know that we've so easily forgotten? Why have we culturally neglected the corporate. Listen, cultural neglect of the corporate is not true about every culture on earth. I want you to listen. South Korea. This place is an amazing place for the glory of God. It just so happens throughout our modern times, I'm talking in the last 10, 15, 20 years, numerous times, they've called prayer meetings that have gathered over 1 million Koreans to pray. 1 million. We were blown away when 150,000 showed up in the mall. I'm talking in one place at one time over a million Koreans. In his book, Churches That Pray, Peter Wagner reports that an early morning prayer service at a Presbyterian church in Seoul begins at 4 a.m. And it's usually packed with 4,000 believers. What are they there to do? Pray. At 4 o'clock in the morning, 4,000 of them. They have a 5 a.m. and a 6 a.m. prayer service where a total of 12,000 people pray at one church before 7 a.m. in the morning. That's astounding. Do you know what the typical attendance in the United States at a corporate prayer meeting is for church? It's an average of 3 to 6% of the total attendees of a church. So you call a prayer meeting, if you have a hundred people that go to that church, three to six of them will come to a prayer meeting. 
We'll come here on a Sunday morning, but for some reason, when we call a prayer meeting, people go, ah, I'm checking out. You know, I think it's because we've lost our ability to understand how we're supposed to do this. In many churches, corporate prayer has lost its intensity, its intensity, it's lost its meaning, and it's lost its priority. Why? Because in group prayer, we just kind of share requests for sick relatives. Or we have other individualistic needs that are unrelated to the whole of the body. Or we're followed by this list of quick prayers that's from an accumulated list. And you know what? We lack focus and we lack energy. Group prayer in our midst has become boring. So often for so many people, and it's become anemic. That's not the way the first century church experienced corporate prayer. Corporate prayer as Christ intended it was uniting, exciting, passionate, and it was an effective source of unique power for believers. Where have the prayers of many churches today taken the wrong turn? So many of us would say we neglect this because we're just far too busy. Or we've fallen unaware of our desperate need to pray together. Or we've become so hooked on an inspiration, kind of an impression management, that we're afraid of looking foolish and sounding foolish. Therefore, we don't participate in corporate prayer. Prayer meetings have become so often so long that no one wants to come to them anymore. And at least one of these, each one of these could be true to some extent. But that's not really the reason, I think that we want to focus on today. I don't think it's the root at the bottom of the rotten fruit. I think we have become so individualistic that we have fallen out of practice. And now we're in a state of disharmony. We've neglected the art of corporate prayer so much that we really don't know how to do this anymore. We've lost so much ground, we need to start all over again. Listen to this scripture from Matthew 18. Again, truly I tell you that if two of you on earth agree about anything they ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three gather in my name, there I am with them. Now this word agree... In the Greek is this word symphonizasin, symphonizasin, and it means to sound together. When we come together in prayer, we're supposed to be a symphony of prayer. And so, now, if, if the Jew heard this, they knew they would connect this because it's a musical term to the instruments in the temple because the instruments in the temple had to sound together. You see, they had to be harmonious together. And when we sound together before God, when we agree in one thing before him, with him and with each other, then God hears us and his presence is manifest with us. Now we know that musical instruments finely tuned and played well together, like they can create beautiful harmony. How many of you love music when it's just so finely tuned, right? We also know the opposite is true. That when you have out-of-tune instruments and you have people trying to do their own thing by playing their own tune... It does nothing but create a cacophony. I'm going to play you this little video. This is one minute. It's going to feel a whole lot longer than a minute. (laughs) Let's listen together.
Okay, so we cut it back just to save you a bit. That was about five minutes. We cut it back to less than a minute. Who would attend a concert like that? Parents. Parents. Thank you. Parents and grandparents. Why? Love. Why? Who are they loving on? Their children. Do you realize that you have a father in heaven that loves you? Do you know that he loves to attend your concerts of prayer even when they sound like that? Now, you'd go to that if it was your kid. Raise your your hand if you'd go to that if it was your kid or your grandchild or somebody. Okay, how many of you would like to participate in performing in that? Anybody want to participate? You see, this is the problem. We don't want to participate in things that don't reflect well on us. Why is that? Kids don't really, it doesn't really matter to a kid. You know, a kid goes out and they're like, yeah, I did great. Like, they don't know. They don't know how to judge themselves unmercifully often. They don't know how to kind of put this high standard on themselves. And and we're kids before God. We're just his kids. And so when we cry out to him together, he is the conductor. Can I tell you that, that precious conductor, was she not vigilant? She was just waving away with all she had. And I think for her, it was like, how beautiful, keep going. You know, and it really wasn't beautiful at all. But to her and to the parents, it was precious. I just need to say that we need to be able to start all over again. It's okay. It's okay for us not to know what to do. It's okay for us not to know how to pray. It's okay for us to pray out of tune. It's okay for us to miss a beat. It's okay. That's okay for us. But I think we've forgotten that what happens is when we participate with God in a new beginning, and yes, we fumble around, beautiful things can come out of it. I want to show you yet another video. Let's take a look at this orchestra. So I could have let that one go a little longer, right? So what would, I t- what would you say if I told you that some of those kids that we saw in the first video could become members of the adults that we see in the second one? Do you believe that could be true? But they have to start somewhere. How many of you would rather skip the first video and go right to the second one? All of us want to do that. You see, that's a cultural plague. I've said this to you before, but the curse of television is not just the content, it's the process. When you watch a 30-minute television show, you not only usually get just crud for content, but you get the perception that problems present and resolve themselves in a 30-minute time frame. How many of you watch the Brady Bunch? You'll show your age now. Gilligan's Island. Right, now they had a huge problem over time at Gilligan's Island, but you know the problems that presented themselves in that particular episode resolved themselves in 30 minutes. So you get enough of that conditioning and you think that life is supposed to be like that. You become a consumer rather than a participant. What happens is we go to a prayer meeting and we sit down and we kind of go, oh my gosh, I need car coffee. Why is that person praying so long? Why is that person asking for those kinds of things? Why are we so out of tune with each other? And we go, I'm just going home and I'm not coming back. Why? Because you now have become a consumer rather than a participant. 
And you want to sit there and you want to be entertained. That's not what being in prayer before our Father is. Being in prayer before our Father is, is reaching this, this realm of called heaven that's as close as your breath. And by the Spirit of God connecting with that realm in such a way that we actually agree with God together and we participate with great passion in the kingdom of God coming right here on earth as it is in heaven. Our Father doesn't cringe when we make mistakes. But the thing is, if you don't keep coming back to practice, we're not going to sound like the second group ever. Why? Because we've given up. Practice does make perfect. So here's my question when it comes to corporate prayer. Are you willing to start practicing prayer with others? I'm not just talking about here at church. I'm talking about at home. Here's my question for you. How many of you live in a household with other people? How much time do you spend in prayer? Just answer that one now. Just to yourself. How much time do we pray together? I have to tell you, I'm a pastor, and sometimes I don't spend as much time as I believe the Lord would have me praying with the people in my household. Here's the truth. Tracy and I often try and work out things in our own strength. As a family, we've done this with our children, and we're banging our heads against the wall, and then it strikes us all of a sudden. Oh, oh my gosh, we forgot to pray. Do you believe that prayer can resolve things? You know why? Because we desperately need God. And yet so often we're so convinced to think, oh, we're going to work this out, not by strength nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. And so we have to understand that this begins with practicing prayer in our homes, in our workplaces, wherever we're gathered together with people. Even if it means you sound like the first group, are you willing to start? Even if it means you need to pray like a kid, are you willing to pray like a kid? Even if it means you're part of a gathering that looks like foolishness to the world and one that gets mocked by other people who don't understand, are you willing to be part of God's grand experiment in corporate prayer? And realize that we won't sound out all our prayers in perfect harmony in the first place, but I can tell you this, with God in our midst, it will take us a lot sooner, a lot quicker to get to a place of harmony in prayer than it would to create a concert violinist. I can guarantee you that. It takes about 20 years sometimes to create a concert violinist. Can I tell you, with God in our midst as our conductor... I think when we enter into corporate prayer with him and trust him in such a way to lead us, he starts creating beautiful music in us in no time at all. I want to give you a definition of corporate prayer. This comes from John Piper. Corporate prayer is praying or prayers offered to God in the hearing of other believers who agree with and affirm their prayers. I'm going to stop. Corporate prayer is praying or prayers offered to God in the hearing of other believers who agree with and affirm their prayers. How many of you have ever prayed out loud with other people? Just show your, show your hands. Okay. Do you like it when you pray out loud and somebody goes, amen, praise God, mm-hmm, they make like a Christian yummy noise. You know what I'm talking about? Mm, thank you, Jesus. You know, like I just love that. You know what I love to preach? I've been invited into inner city black churches to preach before. Can I tell you I love to preach there? I love to preach to you too. I'm not knocking you at all. But very rarely do you ever get up and just throw a fist in the air and say, Amen, keep bringing it, brother. Somebody want to do that now? There you go. Yes, see, like, so, so, you know what happens when you do that? When you look at me with some kind of sense of affirmation for what the Lord's saying, it increases my faith. Now, I'm not saying put it on. I'm just saying don't hold it off. Like, like, when we're in corporate prayer with each other, one of the beautiful things that happens when we agree with each other, and we were just doing this back in the green room beforehand, as we're standing back there, there's this little team of folks praying and stuff like that. When somebody says something that raises something in us, we have to say something out loud. Amen. Praise God. I agree. Bring it, Lord. You see, this is the way prayer becomes passionate and powerful when we agree first and foremost with God. But then we agree with each other, and now we are one as he is one. We are in alignment with God. 
We pray who agree to affirm prayers made in the hearing of other believers who then agree with those prayers and affirm them in some way. It's togetherness. It's agreement. It's affirmation. It's not the number of people in a prayer meeting. It's the unity with the Spirit and with each other that brings about corporate prayer that is powerful and passionate. And that corporate prayer is always focused. Now, we don't always know what the focus is supposed to be. That's why we listen together. But if you look throughout Scripture and those who pray corporately, you will find that they have a corporate focus. We're going to look together today at a passage from Acts 12. If you want to open your Bibles, we'll discover some things about corporate prayer. This is Acts 12, verses 1 through 24, and I am going to read the whole of this. This is about Peter's miraculous escape from prison. It was about this time that King Herod arrested some who belonged to the church, intending to persecute them. Um, Just stop for a second. Anybody ever been arrested for their faith here? Do you know that that may be coming for us at some point? Do you know that God will produce beautiful things if we are? That was less enthusiastic. Verse 2, he had James, the brother of John, put to death with the sword, period. You know that could be coming for us? When he saw that this met with the approval among the Jews, do you believe that if Christians were persecuted in our culture and put to death, that it might bring the approval of people around? He proceeded to seize Peter also. So he took Peter in. This happened during the festival of unleavened bread. After investing him, he put him in prison, handing him over to be guarded by four squads of four soldiers each. This is one dude, <laughs> Peter. And he put 16 guards in charge of him. Herod intended to bring him out for public trial after the Passover. So Peter was kept in prison. This is verse five. Listen, but the church was earnestly praying for him. Now, when you see something like this in scripture, you do not pass it by, you stop. And you ask yourself, oh, what's going on here, God? You see, Peter's in prison. That means there's a problem. Now what happens in the context of the problem is that the people of God go to prayer together. Earnestly means this, without ceasing, passionate cries and pleas. The word has the connotation of going outside the normal boundaries James 5.16 says the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. This means that we are praying with passion and unceasingly. So they're doing this for Peter. Why? Because he's he's in prison. There's a problem. Verse 6. The night before Herod was brought to trial, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers bound with two chains and two sentries stood guard at the entrance. They're frightened by this dude. He got 16 guards watching him. He is sleeping between two guards. He is chained to them. And there's two sentries at the door. Why are they afraid of him? I'll tell you why. Because he belongs to Jesus. Listen what happens in verse 7. Suddenly an angel of the Lord appeared and a light shone in the cell. This angel struck Peter on the side and woke him up. Quick, get up. I could just see this angel. Peter's laying there between the two guards. He gets up and then he kicks Peter. (laughs) He pokes him with something, says, get up, dude. And he raises him up. And quick, he said, get up. And the chains fell off of Peter's wrist. Is that like not God? Then the angel said to him, put on your clothes and sandals. And Peter did so. Wrap your cloak around you and follow me, the angel told him. Verse 9. Peter followed him out of the prison, but he had no idea what the angel was doing was really happening. Listen, he thought he was seeing a vision. He didn't even really know this was real. They passed the first and the second guards and they came to the iron gate leading to the city. It opened for them by itself. (laughs) And they went through it. This is crazy. Can you imagine being Peter at this point? He is filled with a sense of awe. When they walked the length of one street, suddenly the angel left them. Verse 11, then Peter came to himself and said, now I know without a doubt that the Lord has sent his angel and rescued me from Herod's clutches and from everything the Jewish people were hoping would happen. Verse 12, when this had dawned on him, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, also card Mark, listen, where many people had gathered and were praying. So people are praying for this dude while he's in prison. 
He has this incredible, all, awful experience, all awesome, inspiring experience where he actually is released from prison in this miraculous way. Then he's prompted to go to this house where people are praying. Peter knocked at the outer entrance and a servant named Rhoda came to answer the door. When she recognized Peter's voice, she was so overjoyed that she ran back without even opening the door and exclaimed, Peter is at the door. This woman is beside herself with excitement. Verse 15, you're out of your mind, they told her. (laughs) When she kept insisting that it was so, they said it must be his angel. Verse 16, but Peter kept on knocking and when they opened the door, they saw him and they were astonished. Can you say that with me? They were astonished. Another witness for the glory of God. You see, the people of God are praying And then God responds to them in such a way that he fills them with a sense of astonishment and awe. Peter motioned with his hand for them to be quiet and described how the Lord had brought him out of prison. Tell James and the other brothers and sisters about this, he said. And then he left for another place. Verse 18. In the morning, there was no small commotion among the soldiers as to what had become of Peter. Well, I would guess not. Listen to me. There's joy in the camp of God. And there is chaos in the camp of the enemy. When we seek God together, there is always joy in the camp of the Lord. And there is always chaos in the camp of the enemy. Verse 19, after Herod had thorough search made for him and did not find him, he cross-examined the guards and he ordered that they be executed. Then Herod went from Judea to Caesarea and stayed there. He had been quarreling with the people of Tyre and Sidon. They now joined together and sought an audience with him. After securing the support of Blastus, a trusted personal servant of the king, they asked for peace because they depended on the king's country for their food supply. You see, all this is political. On the appointed day, Herod, wearing his royal robes, sat on his throne and delivered a public address to the people. They shouted, this is the voice of a god, not of man. Verse 23. Immediately, because Herod did not give praise to God, because Herod did not give praise to God, an angel of the Lord struck him down and he was eaten by worms and died. But the word of God continued to spread and flourish. And there's a lot we could take away from this, including that we probably think there are some people on planet Earth that probably need to be struck down and eaten by worms. Amen? However, that's not for us to decide, that's for God to decide. But here's a brief takeaway from the passage. Just like today, there was, this is a time of great problems. Do you realize they're living in a time where persecution is ramped up a hundredfold from what we're experiencing now, a thousandfold? And Peter, the one who was actually appointed by God to lead them through so much of what they were doing, he was thrown in prison. These guys were being beat, man. They were getting a crud kicked out of them. They had a hide It was a time of great problems, but guess what? In a time of great problems, it was a time of great prayer. You see, they came together and they cried out to God together. And as a result of it, it was a time of great power. This is a problematic time, but it's also a prayer-filled time for God's people. And that, that then results in God participating in great demonstrations of his power. So the question that's set before us today as the American church in the midst, again, of what seems like unsurmountable problems, will this also be a time of unprecedented prayer? And as a result of that, will we experience together unprecedented power for the glory of God? All of this is glorifying God, which brings us to the next point. Why? What are the reasons for corporate prayer? Here's the first and foremost one. Corporate prayer displays and spreads God's glory. You see, our objective on life right here is to glorify God, period. That's it. Your life is supposed to be a megaphone for the glory of God. Your life is supposed to gather and our lives together are supposed to scream God's glory to the world around us. Listen to 2 Corinthians 1.11. You also must help us by prayer so that many will give thanks on our behalf for the blessing granted us through the prayers of many. 
You understand what's happening here? He's saying, you, you, you must also help us by prayer because when you come together and you pray together, then many will give thanks for not only your prayers, but how God responds to them. Listen in 2 Corinthians 4.15. For it is all for your sake, so that the grace that extends to more and more people, it may increase thanksgiving to the glory of God. You see, when we pray together, we participate with God in bringing about his kingdom. Then we see his response and we are filled with thanksgiving and God is glorified. We go around going, did you see what God just did? Did you see what God, how he responded to us? Did you see what he's doing now in the world around us? And then God is magnified. It's like taking a magnifying glass and putting on the character of God. We ask God together and then we witness together. Several weeks ago, there was um, a news report that Lancaster, our little precious city up the road here, was going to be infiltrated by um, demonstrators and rioters. There was a notice that buses were going to be coming into the city of Lancaster with Antifa and other members, other demonstrators, other rioters, and that basically they were going to be able to burn the place down. Now, I don't know about you. I mean, I've been deeply disturbed about all this stuff that's happening around the country. Deeply disturbed. Deeply disturbed by many aspects of it. But that's coming close to home, don't you think? And when things start coming close to home, you kind of ramp up your concern a little bit more. I'd been a little sleepy in that whole thing. But I'll tell you what happened that day. I talked to our sister, Kathy Hansen, and the two of us decided, you know what, we're just going to call an impromptu prayer meeting. We're just going to get people together. And so two o'clock in the afternoon, I'm posting for that night. And guess what? Over 30 of us show up to pray in that little prayer room over there. And there were policemen amongst us that prayed with us and we prayed for them. We interceded. We cried out for the protection of Lancaster and our citizens. We cried out for honoring and protection of police. We cried out for our black brothers and sisters who were in pain. We cried out together that God would thwart the plans of the evil one and not allow this destruction to come to this little hamlet called Lancaster. Guess what God did? He answered those prayers. Now look, we don't... We don't claim to be the only people praying. There's probably hundreds, if not thousands, of other people praying all around Lancaster. But yet, we were part of it. And can I tell you something? That night was flipping awesome. You know what was really awesome? The next day when I started communicating with some people in the room, and they're like, what's going on? And what we heard was, there's peace in the city. And that what we learned after that is one judge who was obviously under the control of the sovereign God decided that when they arrested eight to ten people who were inciting a riot, he put a one million dollar bail on them. You know what that's called? A disincentive to riot. And you know what? Based on active policing, God was at work and God answered our prayers by bringing protection and peace to this little city of Lancaster. Now listen, what group of people do you think we're most excited about hearing that news? Our little group of people. You know why? We were stakeholders. We were stakeholders because we participated. Do you understand when you participate and you hear from God and you see God respond in such a way, then you go, woohoo! But somebody sitting on the outside, oh, it's great you prayed. Oh, you really think he answered your prayers? Well, I'm not really sure. You see, because you're not participating. But when you participate, there's dancing and awe in your heart and in your fellowship because you say, did you see how God responded to our cries? He's not going to always respond the way that we think he will. But he always responds. And what happens when you, when you participate in something like that is you want to spread the word. You want to run around and tell people like, oh my gosh, we prayed last night, this is what happened. And God did this. You see, you want to spread the word. And such a word was spread years ago in a little church in Michigan. This story is from a missionary who was on furlough, uh, told this true story while visiting his home church in Michigan. Listen, while serving at a small field hospital in Africa, every two weeks I traveled by bicycle through the jungle to a nearby city for supplies. This was a journey of two days that required camping overnight at a halfway point. On one of these journeys, I arrived in the city where I had planned to collect money from a bank, purchase medicine and supplies, and then begin my two-day journey back to the field hospital. Upon arriving in the city, I observed two men fighting, one who was seriously injured. 
I treated him for his injuries, and at that same time, I talked to him about the Lord Jesus Christ. And when I traveled two days camping overnight and arrived home without incident, two weeks later, I repeated my journey. Upon arriving in the city, I was approached by the young man that he had treated. He told me that he had known I carried money and medicines. He said these words, listen, some friends and I followed you into the jungle, knowing that you would camp overnight. We plan to kill you and to take your money and your drugs. But just as we were about to move into your camp, we saw that you were surrounded by 26 armed guards. At this, I laughed and I said, I was certainly all alone in the jungle at my campsite. The young man pressed the point, however, and said, no, sir, I was not the only person to see these guards. My five friends also saw them, and we all counted them. It was because of those guards that we were afraid, and we left you alone. At this point in the sermon, one of the men in the Michigan congregation jumped to his feet, and he interrupted the missionary and asked if he could tell him the exact day this happened. The missionary told the congregation the date, and the man who interrupted told him this story. On the night of your incident in Africa, it was morning here, and I was preparing to go play golf. I was about to putt when I felt the urge to pray for you. In fact, the urging of the Lord was so strong, I called the men in this church to meet with me here in this sanctuary to pray for you. Would all of those men who met with me on that day please stand up? The men who had met together to pray that day stood up, and the missionary wasn't concerned with who they were. He was too busy counting them. There were 26. Yeah. This story is an incredible example of how the Holy Spirit moves in people's lives. So there's a dude in Africa who's riding his bike as a Christian missionary. He's actually taking drugs and got money and so on and so forth. There's a plot for people to kill him, and that plot is now diffused through prayer. Now, can I ask you a question? Who do you think was filled with the most awe? The 26 guys who prayed for him. And that congregation was a witness that glorified God. If you don't get in the game you won't experience the awesomeness of God the way that he longs for you to experience him. And as a result, he will not be glorified in your life right now here on earth as it is in heaven. But if you get in the game, man, everything changes. You see, corporate prayer is primarily first and foremost about the glory of God. And let me just say this out loud. If you're praying together with anybody, anywhere, and it's not about the glory of God, You are missing the foremost reason why we pray, that God would be glorified right here on earth as it is in heaven. Now look, prayer has other reasons, other kind of ways, reasons why we pray. Corporate prayer allows for confession and healing. Listen to James 5, 16 and 17. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The fervent prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. Elijah was a human being, even as we are. He prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain on the land for three and a half years. Now here's again, fervent, earnestly, passionate, please, unceasingly crying out to God. This is corporate. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray that you may be healed. God's family is supposed to be the safest place on the face of the earth for us to confess our sin. I'm just going to say that again because it's so true. The grace of God is so sufficient for our weakness that this is supposed to be the safest place on the face of the earth for us to actually get real about the true state of our soul. We've lost this corporate discipline of confession in many areas of the church. But during the foundation of one of our great fathers, church fathers, John Wesley, He started something called Methodism. Now, Methodism today, and my Methodist pastor friends would say this, is very different than when it was first started. But one of the the kind of roots of the movement were bands, and they were called bands of people that would pray together. See, it was corporate prayer, and John Wesley had some small group rules, and here's one of them. Each one in turn would share his or her sins in thought or deed since our last meeting. So if you're in a band with John Wesley and you're praying earnestly before God, it's your turn. Tell us all the sins that you committed in thought and deed since our last meeting. Anybody want to sign up for that? 
It's not only what you did, it's what you thought. So I'm sitting with a bunch of brothers and brothers, I've got to confess to you, I've had lustful thoughts of other women this week. And, and you're in a group and you say, yeah, I've got to confess, I've run up my credit card. I, I spent $1,000 on my credit card that I don't have this week. You see, we're actually in a safe place where we confess the true state of our soul with sins and thought and deed we had committed since our last meeting. And then in that meeting, each one would ask as many searching and fearless moral questions they would have of that person, and then guess what they would do? They would pray. Did you ever think that maybe you're stuck in an area of life because you don't have other people praying for you and with you? How many of you feel like you're stuck in some area of life? Just raise your hand. All right, so do you have a prayer team? Oh, bingo. The light bulb goes off. I'll tell you the number of times we've raised three kids in our family. By the grace of God, they're all still alive. And by the grace of God, they're like relatively healthy people. Praise God. Just say praise God with me, please. You know, now like, by the way, it wouldn't be any failure on our part if they had died or if they, they weren't healthy because that's not necessarily true. Kids choose all kinds of things. They're free to choose whatever they choose. But can I tell you we went through some really, really hard times? And I went through, I went some times where I'm like, I have no clue what to do. And if I just start doing what I think I'm supposed to do, I am going to make this far worse. Anybody say amen? amen? You know what? I believe carried us through with the prayers of the saints. When things got bad enough, let's get the prayer team together. Let's assemble the prayer team. And we're texting people who we know are safe, who we know we're not going to communicate or gossip about we're family. And we're calling on the phone and say, would you please pray with me now? Can we get together and have a prayer meeting for this kid? Because Jesus loves this kid. Do you ever think that somehow you are working so hard to try and solve your own problems? And if you just kind of gathered together with the people of God and were able to bring to them the things that you're wrestling with, that the prayers of the saints would actually allow God to move in such a way that you would go, this is amazing. Can I tell you the number of times I've called on a prayer team? I couldn't even count them when I am up against the wall and I'm just dead and things break loose and I go, praise you, Lord Jesus. You see, this is the way we're supposed to be living Now, by the way, confession is contagious. We already practiced some of this here at Grace. Right in our prayer meetings this this past week that we had, those 10 days, there were so many beautiful confessions. And can I tell you, confession is contagious. Why? Because when somebody else gets honest enough to bring something out that's true about them, then often you can actually know that's true about you. I remember a guy in in a meeting years ago saying to me, in, in the whole of the group, I lie when it's just as easy to tell the truth. And he was confessing about his potential to deceive people. Like, he'd say, I don't know why, I never feel like I'm enough. So I always tell people I have this much money in the bank. When I don't have that much money in the bank, I have this much money in the bank. But I just never feel like I'm enough. And I always lie about things, or I lie often. And when he said that, you know what happened? God and the Holy Spirit convicted me and said, you do the same thing. Now, I didn't confess that week, but I confessed the weeks to follow. And I had brothers around me to pray for me. Folks, a lot of times we're not growing because we're not praying and we're not confessing. And look, this requires a lot of safety. And I'm just going to borrow something from the 12-step fellowships because I really do believe God wrote a lot of those principles in there. And they say this, who you see here, what you hear here, when you leave here, let it stay here. Who you see here, what you hear here, when you leave here, let it stay here. In other words, anonymity and confidentiality are cornerstone principles for the safety of a fellowship where people are seeking healing. Right? And so why would these words be truer of a 12-step fellowship than they would be of the church of Jesus Christ? This means we don't gossip. See, gossip is a cardinal sin to a 12-stepper. How about to you? You see, we have to be in this place where we're able to see what's true about us, to confess it, and then to choose God's way. And when we do this in the context of prayer, it is so beautiful to see healing that comes. So first of all, corporate prayer glorifies God. Second of all, it allows for confession and healing. And it actually enlarges 
vision. Listen to these verses, Proverbs 29, 18. Where there is no vision or revelation, people cast off restraint. Other versions say the people perish. But blessed is he who heeds wisdom's instruction. And then 1 Corinthians 3, 16 and 17. Do you not know that you, that word is a plural you, not you as a single person, but you all, or y'all as my wife would say from Tennessee, are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you. If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him for God's temple is holy and you are that temple. You all are all that temple. Why did people go to the temple? To hear from God. Y'all, we're the temple. We're the temple of God. So Grace Fellowship Church has something called presence-based leadership. That means that we don't actually try and like figure out things in our own strength. But you know what we do primarily is we listen together in teams to God. We pray. We go to his word. And we listen to him together. We look to God's spirit and God's word and then God's people to hear from God. And in the context of those meetings, I have to be honest with you, sometimes we have no clue what we're doing. Can I tell you that we did not plan the return? We didn't plan to do that. Just like almost every other thing, we didn't plan to do that. We had planned to do something completely different with you when we actually planned a year ago. So we're listening in the context of meetings, and then people start praying, and then we start hearing from God together, and then you know what happens in the room? Somebody says something, and we go, oh, that's it. That's what God's saying to us. And then somebody else says something and we're like, oh my gosh, did you hear that? And you see, we're just trying to write stuff down. Why? Because God's message lives in God's people. Now, nothing can conflict with the word of God, but good leaders always listen. This doesn't mean we lead by consensus. But what it does mean is that we understand God speaks through the hearts and minds of his people. And where there's resonance and where there's agreement, then we understand God truly is speaking through us. Corporate prayer teaches us. Listen to these words from Eli and Samuel. So Eli told Samuel, go and lie down. And if he calls you, say, speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. So Samuel went and he lay down in his place. Hebrews 3.13, but encourage one another daily while it is still called today, lest any one of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. And Ephesians 6.18, and pray in the spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and with requests. With this mind, be alert and always keep praying for all the Lord's people. How many of you wish you could pray more effectively? Show of hands. Then you need to do this. You need to hang out with people who are praying effectively. Iron sharpens iron. He said, look, if you want to learn to pray, get around people who are praying. And I'm not talking about they're praying in silence. You won't learn to pray that way. But if you hang out with people who are praying, then you can learn to pray more effectively. And this is not necessarily from the seasoned professionals in prayer. Jesus had a lot lot to say about the seasoned professionals, and believe me, it wasn't good. This is often those that are just new to prayer. So I asked my administrative assistant, Chrissy Burns, if I could talk about her this morning. She's my amazing. Would you please give a round of applause for Chrissy Burns? She's the one who um, is out there with the signs and she deals with you people on my behalf. So praise God for Chrissy Burns. Um, But, you know, we were in a meeting in this very spot, I don't know, a couple years ago. And Chrissy had just joined us and we were all praying together. And I don't even really know where Chrissy was in her prayer life. But she prayed this beautiful prayer that was kind of... um, Unnuanced and it was raw and it was unpolished and I'll never forget because it was one of the most beautiful prayers I ever heard. And while I heard Chrissy pray, she was praying like a child and I remember saying this and then thinking this, God, please help me to pray like Chrissy Burns. Because why I had become deceived into thinking that by my many words and in my eloquence of speech, somehow God would hear me better than if I just spoke to him like his kid. And that is a lie from the pit of hell. Right? Some of us come to God and we think we have to nuance our words and we use, why do we use old English in prayer? (laughs) Father, thou art in heaven. Thy be our child. Like we go on this kind of stuff. I mean, if you had a kid and they came to you and spoke to you that way, what would you say to them? Father, may I have thy allowance that I might go spendeth it. And you'd go, kid, what are you smoking? Like, man... Just talk to me. I'm your dad. Do you understand? 
just talk to me, I'm your dad. So seasoned prayers come to a corporate prayer meeting and learn from those who are littler than you. They will teach you much. They will teach you to get off your high horse and get get back to praying like a kid. And I can tell you my prayers, I want my prayers just to be like a kid before God. Because that's what he says we are. He's our Abba. So we can learn from the inexperience. We can learn from the experience. But we all have to learn in prayer. And if you want to go in prayer, you have to be around people who are praying. I learned so much in the context of our prayer meetings. Not only that, passion is contagious. You see, it says, when you seek me with all your heart, you will find me. He says, ask and it'll be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be open. For everyone who asks receives. And the one who seeks find. And to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. How many of you want to increase your passion for God? Show of hands. Then you must spend time around people who are passionate for him. Look, I've learned this. I've spent time trying to pray with people who aren't very passionate with God. And I've spent far too much time trying to pray with people that aren't very passionate with God. And I've forsaken people at times that are super passionate for God. You get around people who are passionate, their passion will feed your passion. See, God is fanning the flames of a fire in us right here at Grace Fellowship Church. The question is, will you participate and be a part of fanning those flames so that God would be glorified as we cry out together? So again, this is the reason why we're going into this midweek prayer gathering, because now is the time. Now look, if you can't join us Wednesday, we understand. But be praying with people. Start in your home, but get together and pray, pray, pray. Get to get with the people that are new to prayer and people that are seasoned in prayer. Spend time together crying out to God together. Now, we're going to bring focus to these times, and I have the honor of facilitating Wednesday night, and I'm bringing this focus, light and revelation to darkness. I'm going to explain to you why. It says in Ephesians 5, but everything exposed by the light becomes visible, and everything that is illuminated becomes a light. That's why it is said, wake up, sleeper, rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. I'm going to teach you a little bit about black ants and red ants. And I want you to listen very carefully. If I go to the Southwest Desert and I catch a hundred red ants, as well as a hundred large black ants, and I put them in a jar, at first nothing will happen. Because they are not naturally enemies. Black ants and red ants, they commune together pretty well. So you put them in a jar, nothing is going to happen. However, if I shake the jar violently, I shake it, shake it, shake it, shake it, shake it, and then I dump all the ants back on the ground, guess what they will do? They will attack each other and they will kill each other. You see, the red ants think the black ants have become the enemy, and the black ants think the red ants have become the enemy. But in reality, the true enemy is the one who shook the jar. Our jar is being shooken. It's being shaked. <laughs> I don't know how you say that. Shooken. Shaken. Thank you. Shaken and bacon. If we're red ants and black ants, liberal, conservative, black, white, pro-mask, anti-mask, fill in the blank, somebody's shaking our jar. And we're thinking we're enemies. And guess what? We're not. So the question is, who's shaking the jar? Well, ultimately, you've got to say it's Satan, for sure. He loves to shake up the jar. But can I tell you something? I really believe he's using people behind the scenes to shake up this jar, too. And you know what? They're in hiding. See, there's all kinds of incredible, horrible things happening around our country. There are literally people who are unloading trucks in the city to riot and destroy the city. Who's paying for that? But you never, you never see these things. They're never brought into the light. Can I tell you something? I believe that God longs for these purveyors of evil to be brought into the light. And I think they need to be brought to justice. Because there are evil presences that have been shaking the jar. And I'm tired, man. I don't know if you're tired, but I'm tired of all the hate. Are you tired of the hate? So this week we're going to be praying specifically that God would bring light to that darkness. 
first and foremost, light to the darkness in us, but then light to the darkness in our community and light to the darkness in our nation. And we're going to be crying out to God that the light would make apparent what has only been hidden in the darkness because there are people that are participating with Satan in shaking the jar. Do you believe our prayers can make a difference? Then please come. Please come join us. Let's pray together. Father, your word tells us that we're supposed to return to our first love. To remember the height from which we've fallen and do the things that we did at first. We're supposed to repent. The only problem for many of us, Lord, is that we have neglected praying together for so long that we don't even have a reference point for what to return to. God, help us to return to the foundations of your church that are so clearly seen in your word. Help us to form new reference points of coming together as your people and crying out to you and seeing you move that you would be glorified right here on earth as it is in heaven. To confess together, to heal together, to see your vision for your church together. Help us to learn together. Help us to become passionate together, Lord God. Help us to seek you with all our heart, with all our mind, with all our soul, and with all our strength. And God, when anything good happens, help us to give all the glory, all the honor, and all the praise to you and to you alone. We pray this all in the precious name of Jesus and all God's people said. Let's stand together and join in a closing song of worship. We hope you enjoyed this message. You can find more like it on our website under sermons. To keep up to date with our sermon series, hit the subscribe button in your podcast host and follow our social media pages. Just search for GFC Shrewsbury on the platform of your choice. If you're looking to connect with us further, then you can email us at connect at gfcshrewsbury.org. We will be back next week with another message. We hope to see you again soon.